Okay, good morning, everyone, and welcome to a special edition of A Vision for You. Today is Sunday, June 12, 2016. The uh, share ID for, for Friday, June 10th, is 8817. That is uh, 8817. This morning, A Vision for You presents After Abstinence, Then What? You know, when we arrived to the rooms of Overeaters Anonymous, uh, perhaps uh, uh, pummeled by the effects of this disease, uh, we're, we're soon confronted with the notion that we are indeed uh, powerless, that our lives had become unmanageable. And, and the big book reminds us that we had to fully concede to our innermost selves that, that we, were, we were alcoholic, we were compulsive readers. And, and this, of course, is the first step in recovery. And in laying out the problem in the doctor's opinion, uh, Dr. Silkworth states emphatically that, of course, an alcoholic ought to be freed from his physical craving for liquor before psychological measures can be of maximum benefit. So thus, we, we must put down our alcoholic foods uh, before embarking on the practical program of action. And indeed, you know, while we may be powerless, um, certainly we are not helpless. And um, so here to share with us her story of personal transformation is Martha Z. Martha is a loyal contributor uh, to this fellowship by carrying a message of hope. Good morning, Martha. And Martha, good morning. Oh, Hi, good morning. morning. I can I'm hear here. You. Good morning, Great. Mary. Thanks for being there. Um, my pleasure. Good morning, my friends in recovery. This is Martha C. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater by the grace of God from near sunny Philadelphia. Um, I'm very grateful to be with all of you. And, um, yeah, I, I need to say, I wanted to say where this title came from. My joke all the time with people would be, the book I write is going to be called After Abstinence, Then What? Because we think that abstinence is the goal, but we find out that, that's, that it's only the beginning. So um, anyway, that, I will get to that later. Um, I'm going to just give you some um, background before that. So I just want to say this is really out of my comfort zone, but I know that recovery isn't always comfortable and that I believe that God doesn't call the equipped, that he equips the called. So I'm I'm hoping for that. So I want to start with the third step prayer so um, I can get connected, so we can get connected. God, I offer myself to thee to build with me and to do with me as thou wilt. Relieve me of the bondage of self that I may better do thy will. Take away my difficulties that victory over them may bear witness to those I would help of thy power, thy love, and thy way of life. May I do thy will always. And um, I especially like the part where it says, take away my difficulties, that victory over them may bear witness to those I would help. Um, <laughs> started with the thing that I struggled with more in my, the thing that I struggled with more in my entire life was my compulsive overeating. And when he gave me a way out of that one, I began to think that he was going to be able to help me with everything. So I'm starting to see, though, that my difficulties, where I might have thought that it was the compulsive overeating or the husband with cancer or the difficult daughter or whatever I thought, I'm starting to see that my difficulties are more my resentment and my fear. So we'll get to that later, but anyway. So I want to say what I used to be like, what happened, and what I'm like now. 
So as a child, I was what my brother would call pleasingly plump. I was 10 to 15 pounds overweight, and I was had terrible eating habits, trading food in the cafeteria. I would, my mother would pack a sandwich, a juice orange, and some cookies, and I would eat the cookies and trade the sandwich and orange for butterscotch comforts and use my milk money for pretzel sticks. So, but I wasn't, I wasn't driven by food. I just didn't have good food habits. I wasn't obsessed or driven. So my first diet came about when I was 15 years old. I had been going out with somebody for about a year and um, he started going out with somebody else and he didn't even tell me. And I, I decided, I knew that it was because I was too fat. So I decided that, you know, I needed to lose weight. That was the reason that, that he, you know, he didn't like me. So I went on this diet, and I it was it was a sensible diet. It was, you know, three meals a day and maybe um, fruit for um, uh, dessert or snack, that kind of thing. So by the end of the summer, I had lost. I was like about five feet then. I I thought 107 would be good. I had gotten down to my goal. I thought that was good, but I can see I can kind of see the beginning of this food addiction early because I never wanted to be fat again. So I didn't. I, I just kept doing what I called being careful. So I ended up getting down to about 87 pounds. That was not my goal, but I didn't want to be fat again. So during this time, my mother, my mother, God bless her, she's 91 and a half now, but when she is scared, it always comes out as anger. And my best friend kept saying, why is your mom yelling at you all the time? And I'd say, I don't know. And so um, one night, middle of the night, she's, my parents bedroom was under mine. I could hear my mom crying to my father and she said, I'm so worried about Martha, you know, I don't and I had no idea. I mean, I I just thought she hated me. I don't know. I didn't I don't know what I thought, but the next day I come down and I say I say I'm going to gain some weight, you know. I, I you know, I, I didn't want her to be upset like that and um anyway, so there's a there's a box of cookies on the on the table, kitchen table and I say, I'm going to eat the entire thing. And she says, oh, no, you'll be sick. And I'm like, no, 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 I'm going to gain some weight. So it never occurred to me or, or certainly wasn't thinking that I could gain 20 pounds eating good food. I thought, this is great. I can eat whatever I want. So I was a Girl Scout, and I <laughs> proceeded to eat boxes and boxes and boxes of Girl Scout cookies every day. So within a month, I had gained the weight that I needed to gain. And then, then I was ready to stop, and I found I could not. So I do think I had the predisposition. I have a lot of alcoholism in my family, and um, but so so um, I also dealt with my mom that I was never good enough, and that um, so in this whole thing before I was too fat, and then all of a sudden I was too thin, and I thought I wanted to say to her, could you stop me in the middle there when I was just right? It was it was very painful. But anyway, um, so I really did, so I started having difficulty with food, and I'd be able to eat right a couple days, and then, you know, by, you know, the fourth day maybe I would pick up again, and I decided I needed to see somebody about it, you know, and she was working, we didn't have a lot of money, she was working for a psychiatrist, so she kind of bartered something, and I went to see him, and I really believed that, you know, that food was my only problem, I was a good student, I was music, sports, whatever, I I thought that. The truth was that um, 
that I was loved very conditionally, and that I wasn't allowed to have my feelings. And um, so I, I, food really helped me to hold them down. And um, so anyway, so I go to this guy. He asks me about my relationship with my father. And I'm thinking, what does this have to do with anything? I mean, I had truly no clue. So that's where I started. So I go to college, and um, oh, when I, I was just going to say about not having any feelings. The way that played out was if I said anything about anything, my mom would say, you're making mountains out of molehills. So I did learn how to how to hold them down, especially with the food. So I go to college, and I'm, I pretty much, when I was in college, I transferred compulsions. So I was busy studying compulsively. And when I was studying, I couldn't eat compulsively. So I did most of that in college. But I studied myself so much that I ended up having to take a semester off. But, you know, I'm not going to come home for the semester off because I have a boyfriend at school. So I, I don't know how I convinced my mom. I think I convinced my mom because she didn't want me to come home and have to explain why I was home. So anyway, that's what I think. I don't know if that's true or not. <laughs> that might be my dishonesty. Anyway, so um, I stay down there. I get a job in Burger King. And I had size 6 uniform start. And I am... Um, working, I'm doing drinks because I was only going to be there like two and a half months. So there's somebody in line. There's somebody at the door doing, um, she she was taking orders and it was cold. It was, it was like February. It's very cold. And so, okay, so in the, in the course of two and a half months, I gained 37 and a half pounds. So as time went on, I could not zip my dress. So I had a sweater on top of it you know, cardigan sweater. So somebody says to me, oh, Martha, why don't you give Becky your sweater? And I'm thinking, oh, dear God, like there's no way I can, my dress is open about eight inches in the back. I'm thinking there's no way I can give her my, and I pretended that I didn't hear. So anyway, um, that's college. I, I do, um, the summer, okay, so that was, I don't know, 74 maybe. The summer, 75, the summer of 75, my mom finds out, she finds out about, two weight groups. There's Weight Watchers and there's OA. And I, who had ever heard of OA? So I, you know, I go off to Weight Watchers and I make it, I was only there three times the first time. The second time, I think I lost a pound. The third time I lost, no, the third time I didn't lose any weight. And the person said to me, what happened? And I'm thinking, that's it. I am out of here. So that is my long career with them. And anyway, so um, I did graduate in uh, December of 76. So, and I was at a reasonable weight then, but in like two weeks, I had gained 15 pounds and I was on my way back up. So now it's January of 1977. And I, back then we had the Philadelphia Inquirer. There's a Dear Abby article. And it talks about Tradition 3. And it says the only requirement for membership is a desire to stop eating compulsively. Now, I had been 40 pounds overweight. I am now... 15 pounds overweight going up very quickly, like 15 pounds within two weeks. So I go, and from the second I went, I knew it was the right answer. I couldn't, I could, I struggled my first 12 years. I did not, I think we, um, I want to say it was compliance versus surrender. I kind of tried to do what everybody was doing. We, we thought that the goal was abstinence. We didn't really know that there was recovery. And um, 
and I struggled, and I want to say, and I want to just say this to anybody who thinks that the steps work really well while you're still eating, that I tried valiantly in those 12 years. I did six, um, they called them AWOLs, very organized 22-week step study things. Um, I did six of them in that time period while I was not consistently abstinent. And I, and I just, I really, I thought I was going to back my way into abstinence. And when, when things got better, I'd be able to be abstinent. And the truth was that things got better when I put the food down. So um, lots of consequences, social consequences, canceled plans. Um, I was always canceling plans. I didn't want people to see how much weight I'd gained, so I would talk to them on the phone. Physical consequences, crushing headaches, reactive hypoglycemia, sinus rectal, back problems. My back problem, the, the orthopedic guy told me that, you know, there's nothing wrong with my back that losing weight wouldn't cure. Um, economic problems, I didn't bring any money into the marriage, and it, we were probably, it was probably a good seven years before we were able to buy a house. Jobs, I was having trouble holding a job, and I felt very useless school. I wanted to go back to school. I couldn't. I couldn't think straight. Emotional problems, unhappy, moody, depressed, <laughs> full of fear. And um, mostly, I didn't want to be here if I had to continue what I was doing with food. I didn't have any clear suicidal plans, but I didn't want to be here if I had to do that. And um, straight out of the bedevilment, you know, <laughs> trouble with personal relationships, full of fear. Um, and spiritual problems. I felt like I was insulated from from God, like somebody had wrapped me with cotton, I could not connect. So I'm struggling all this time. Now it's it's December of 1988, and I call this dependency place that's in uh, South Jersey. And um, I'm in Philadelphia, but this is in South Jersey. And I say to her, you know, I say, well, you know, how do you know when you need to go to inpatient treatment? And I'm I'm giving her all these reasons, and you know. I say, you know, because I, I know all the treatment centers are six weeks and they're in Florida, or at least from what I know. And so I'm saying, well, you know, but isn't there someplace shorter or closer? I have these two little girls. I had a four-year-old and a almost seven-year-old at the time. And, and she stopped me and she said, look, you've got this chronic illness. You have to take care of it. And I think before that I thought that, I was this high-bottom thing, and I was managing, and, you know, I was on bus stop every day, blah, 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 and I started to feel like I was going to lose everything. So then I got, you know, after that, I got a couple good weeks together, you know, January comes and goes. It's the beginning of February now, and I am struggling mightily. It's February 3rd. I call them, and they say that they're going to check my insurance. So this is, this is it's Friday afternoon. So that Saturday morning, uh, every Saturday morning, I, I told you I had these two little girls. Every Saturday morning, I would get up and I would do the food shopping very early, so they were still in bed with their dad, you know, and their dad was home with them. And I did that. I did my food shopping. I came back and I did, I, I broke one of my main rules, which was that you never go back to bed. I am. I went back to bed, and I don't know. I don't. I don't even know how this happened. My husband and my daughters are in bed with me, and I am crying. And my four-year-old is wiping the tears off my face saying, Mommy's sad. And I am laying there. I'm thinking, Dear God, we cannot do this another second. I have to. I have got to get help with this. So anyway, they leave. I am on my knees, and I am praying. And I'm saying, I'm saying my higher power, God, I'm saying, 
I don't care. I don't care what it is. It doesn't even have to be this place. Just help me to get help. I can't. I, I can't. I just can't do this anymore. So the phone rings. Oh, I made a promise to him that even if I got a couple weeks together, that uh, that I still needed to go, and that I, you know, to help me not to say I didn't need to go. So the phone rings, and it is this treatment center. It, so it, it is. It, it is Saturday morning. The phone rings. They say, you know, your insurance is approved February 15th. Can you come February 15th? Yes. Okay. February 15th comes. My father and my brother come and pick me up to pick me up. It is pouring rain. It is, it is dark. It was um, the sky was almost black, and we are we are down the basement saying goodbye. My older daughter is sobbing. My father and my brother take me to the airport, and we are. My father and brother were both. Um, Functional alcoholics. We're standing at the gate. Back in the days, this is this is February of 1989. We're standing at the gate, and I turned to walk down the, you know, the hall that goes into the plane, and I'm thinking I felt like a jail door was closing on me, and I'm thinking to myself, what is wrong with this picture? I am the wellest person in the family, and I am going to treatment. That's what happened. So I was there, and. Um, I was not I was not at my top weight then. I have I have been fifty five pounds overweight. I was not at my top weight, but I was certainly at my bottom emotionally and spiritually. Absolutely. And I thought that detox wouldn't be too bad because I had given up eating refined sugar for five years before that. However, I ate fruit juice sweetened cookies, all Volume, 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 flour, everything. I never had a worse detox in my life. I actually threw up twice the second day I was there. I never, never had a worse withdrawal than I had during that time. And so I went. I knew how hard it was. I knew what a sacrifice it was for my husband and my daughters for me to do that. So I I woke up every day, and I left them in in my higher power's hands, and I just I would pray, and I'd say I'd pray for the willingness to do whatever I needed to do to recover that day, and I would get it. And my disease would say, like weighing and measuring, my disease would say, hey, you know what, you you know you're going to do that when you're down here. You don't really need to do that when you're home. You, you know you you know what moderate is. But my weller part of me would be like, wait a minute, wait a minute. You're in a food addiction treatment center in a psychiatric hospital. I don't, I do not know what water it is. So I would pray, and, and, and I got through that. Like, in the next day I'd wake up and I'd be like, okay, yeah, 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 I'll go home, I'll do it. So anyway, so I get through treatment. I, so I am, you know, I'm out of treatment now. I was in, they were talking about it being a convalescent period. I was in no cocoon. I was on call in the airport. I had these two little girls. So um, I did, they said something about doing 90-90, and I, I kind of was like, well, how can I do that? You know, I've just been away for six weeks. You know, I don't, anyway, but I prayed about that. I ended up going to a lot of AA and Al-Anon meetings. We didn't have phone meetings then, and we didn't have a lot of OA meetings. So one of my Al-Anon meetings in the beginning, I'm, I'm at a step one meeting, and there's somebody there, and he says, he says, you know, I didn't lose my wife or my house or my children or my job or my car. I lost myself. 
and it was at that moment that I really got that, that, you know, what is worse than losing yourself? And that is absolutely where I was. I didn't know who I was, what I thought about anything. I completely lost myself. So that really helped me to see that, that I wasn't, I wasn't as high bottom as I thought I was. So, um, by the grace of God, I've been maintaining a 50 to 55 pound weight loss since then. And um, my younger daughter, she had a way of saying in the evenings, I, I think I probably went to like one or two OA meetings in the evening. And she would say, are you going on your walk or are you going to your meeting? Because she knew that if I was going on my walk, I'd be home a lot sooner. So um, anyway, so uh, five, about five months after that, I started to see the recovered part of it. My husband is is laid off from work, and we decided we're going to live within our means. My older daughter, who's about to go into second grade, wanted a pair of Reebok sneakers. You know how long ago that was. And um, I knew we couldn't afford them. And I was beside myself. I was so upset. And I I took a walk, and I um, was just, I knew exactly how I felt. I was sad. I was everything. I was was beside myself. But I knew before my only emotions were anger and numb. And all of a sudden, I realized that eating hadn't come in as a way to solve it. And that was such a miracle. It actually helped me to feel better. I just thought, that is, I can't, I, I don't know. I don't know how that happened. But anyway, that is what happened. So I just want to say, I don't know why I recovered. I, I don't think the treatment's the magic answer. And I do know my disease beat me into a state of reasonableness. Um, big book talks about that. Um, my disease surrendered me. And I, I, God gave me this miracle, and I joyfully pass it on. And um, so I did not do the steps the big book way. I mean, we didn't know about that back then. Um, two and a half years ago, I actually did do the steps the big book way with a guide. Uh, one of my, actually my step 11 buddy and I wanted to sponsor that way, but we didn't want to sponsor that way if we hadn't done it. So we, you know, she got a guide and then she helped me through that. And what happened for both of us was that I, I was just trying, I, I was just doing it so I could help somebody else. And had such an amazing spiritual awakening personally as the result of doing it. It was it was wonderful. So anyway, I want to say so. Um, every day I pray, help me to always remember that I'm a food addict without going back there. Um, the big book in Chapter 3, More About Alcoholics, says that we are 100% hopeless apart from divine help. And in Chapter 4 in We Agnostics, it says the main object of the big book is to enable you to find a power greater than yourself, which will solve your problem. And so I've heard it say that that's, you know, that can be like spiritual separation or spiritual malady. That's that's kind of how I look at it. So I I wanted to believe that if I was trying to do what what I thought my higher power wanted me to do, that nothing bad would ever happen. And I'm sorry to, to say that that's, that is not the way it happens and that I've had many challenges in the last 27 and a quarter years. Um, my older daughter has depression, and she's been sober in AA for four and a half years. And um, I needed to go to CODA to help me with that. Um, I, um, in, in that 
in a ten and a half year period from like 2000 to 2011, um, four people in my family had cancer and two of them died. Um, one of them, thankfully, one of them that lived was my husband. And I remember when I first found out that he had prostate cancer. And I remember saying out loud to my disease, oh, yeah, food's going to make him not have cancer. So, you know, I call my best friend. And she is frantically busy at work. She's going, she's going to call me back. And she, wasn't, she didn't call me back. And I was beside myself. And I, I am one, I, I do, I have a, we have a chapel, the, the church we go to, we have a chapel. And I, I love to visit the chapel. I go to the chapel and I pray. And I am leaving the chapel. And I literally heard God say to me, I will never leave you. And I realized that, you know, no human power, like we, you know, we want other people to be there for us, but you know what? Nobody can be there 24-7, but guess what? My higher power is never too busy at work. He's always there. He's available. Anyway, so, um, and, I, and I started to think about page 53 in the big book where it says, either God's everything or he's nothing. You know, what was our choice to be? And I thought, I want him to be everything. So I made the decision. I knew that if I picked up the food, I knew that was my will anyway, but I also knew that I wouldn't have his help to get through this. So um, it was it really, it worked out beautifully because I was not blocked off, but I also had everybody in the fellowship that was there for me, you know, praying for me, helping me. And um, so um, I... About 10 years ago, my, my dream was always to work with people with food problems. That's, that's how I called it. And so I, I, I did this three-year professional training program so I could do that. And I felt called to do workshops, specifically step one in resentment workshops. So um, I kind of see that as my way of um, uh, passing it on in, you know, in my making a difference in my small corner, and um, anyway, so um, and I and I um, about five and a half years ago, I started to listen to a big book step study meeting on the phone, and that helped me so much. And you know, and then you know, in in July of 2012, actually the first meeting was on my birthday. Um, Vision for You started, and it has been such an incredible blessing. I tell people all the time that it's my best recovery resource. And um, it's mostly helped me so much to know I had no clue how to live in a 10 and 11 and 12. I thought ten, step 10 was I do something wrong, I say sorry. That pretty much is what I thought. So, I mean, I have learned how how to really to be able to see my part. As, as Joe and Charlie would put it, how did I get the ball rolling? So um, today I'm, I'm gratefully living in recovery. Um, it's had a tremendous effect on my husband and daughters. My daughters are 32 and 34 now. My husband, he's, he is, I, I would not have the level of recovery I have today without him. He's always been so supportive. I'm so grateful that he always believed in me. I don't know why he did, but he did. And um, my daughters, um I, I looked at them several months ago, and I thought, you know what? They would be completely different people if they grew up with me and my disease. 
So my younger daughter, the one that said, are you going on your walk or are you going to your meeting? She really, you know, I've certainly pr- tried to practice these principles in all my affairs in my family life. And, you know, she actually has, you know, makes amends to me. And um, she also, I mean, that the part in the uh, acceptance is the answer story when it says, when I focus on what's good today, I mean, she often will will start talking about that. And she's she's really funny because she calls my phone work. She calls it my phone ministry. Um, anyway, so, but getting back to my husband, my um, I my husband went with me to the convention in the fall, and I said to him, I was just joking around with him, and I said to him, so if if they ask you what I'm really like when I'm you know at home, what would you say to them? And he said, what you see is what you get. And I thought, how amazing for the person who had a complete altogether act and was shattering in a million pieces. That was me. That that was my family's main role. It mattered what it looked like. So I thought that in itself is, is such a miracle of recovery. So I am absent by the grace of God for a little over 27 and a quarter years, not fighting food and weight. And the obsession has been lifted. And I, and I no longer want the food. And I can see the truth. The, the doctor's opinion, well, I like to say I can differentiate the true from the false. And recovery is the center of my life. So, um, and what I mean is it doesn't mean activities all the time. It is, it is, that's the center and everything gets planned around that. So just, just the way the principles I have, um, having my higher power be the most important thing and, um, and practicing these principles. So anyway, and I want to talk about living in steps 10, 11, and 12. Um, Dr. Bob, um, his shorthand for 10, 11, and 12 was for step 10. Well, he said, step 10 is clean house. Step 11 is trust God. And step 12 is help others. So I am, I'm going to give you a food analogy here. I like to think of it at step 10 and 11. I like to think of it as a sandwich. So if the pieces of bread are step um, 11, and then the filling is step 10. So, you know, the morning, okay, so let's say the top piece of bread is is the morning, you know, and the big book has pages 86 and 87. It, it talks about, you know, what to do in the morning. And then, um, then page 86 also starts with at night. So that's the bottom piece of bread. So that kind of tells us what to do there. And the filling part is page 84, where it talks about step 10. And it tells us to continue to watch for selfishness, dishonesty, resentment, and fear. And I am just going to go through them very briefly, but it says, when these crop up, we ask God to remove them. We ask God at once to remove them. We discuss them with someone immediately. We make amends quickly if we've harmed anyone. But this is the part that I found the most helpful. It says, then we resolutely, resolutely, with purpose, we turn our thoughts to someone we can help. And I really find that even if I have done all those other three things, if I'm still feeling some residual like fear or resentment, I find that when I am helping someone else, by the time I get done doing that, it just it completely takes me away from me. And then I kind of feel like I'm 
I'm centered again. So I, I have found that to be a tremendous help. Also on um, step 10, uh, pages 87 and 88, it says, so still with the filling, as we go through the day, we pause when agitated or doubtful, and we ask for the right thought or action. And I like to I like to add the I like to add word to that. We ask for the right word as well. There are so many times like this morning, you know, asking for the right words, you know, for this, um, so that I could be helpful. So um, I want to talk about step eleven just a few minutes, and I just want to talk about. I think step 11 sometimes for newcomers and for for regular people like me that don't have our long meditative practices I think it can sound so intimidating and I think that that uh spiritual exercise is like physical exercise it's it is like you when you're exercise when you first start exercising you don't say I'm I'm going to run a 26 mile marathon you say I'm going to take a walk for 10 minutes. And I think that that is I think that that's got to be the way spiritual exercises too our 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 meditative practices. And back in the day when the big book was written, meditation did not mean what it what, how we picture it today. Meditation meant to ponder deeply. So um I started really simply. I I I really literally started very simply. I started by acting as if, and I started first with my older daughter, and I'd say, I'd say to my higher power, I'd say, I humbly, humbly leave Tina in your hands. I trust you to take good care of her. I trust you with her life. I started with that. But I found that over time that he, I did, I did not think that I could take better care of her. I was too afraid to let go. But I found over time that when I turned around, I started to notice that he was doing a much better job of taking care of her than I ever could. I couldn't protect her. I wanted to. I wanted to protect her from everything. But I wasn't. I was unable to do that. And even if I could, it wouldn't have been good for her. But I w- was not able to do that. So um, anyway, so then I, you know, gratitude list. That's simple enough, right? I thought I can do that. I wanted to write more. But then somebody told told me about writing a God letter. And I thought, oh, I like that. I think I'd like to do that. So I, oh, you know, I asked some questions and I, I said, well, he said, well, you know, you write a God letter and, you know, you know, either thanks or things you need help with, whatever. And then you, with the opposite hand, so with my left hand, you know, you write a letter back from God. I ask the person, I'm like, so do you write what you think, what you want God to say or what you think he'd say? Or he said, no, you know, I just, I just sit quietly and listen. Okay. You know, so I started doing that and I found the most amazing thing that I would, when I would write letters back from God, they were always, they were always in very few words and they were always things like, Stay very close to me. I'll give you all you need. Or be at peace. I'm here. Things like that that were very, very simple. So I still, I I always, you know, I still do that to this day. I find it so helpful, mainly even in, in the middle of my day to kind of recenter. So I just wanted to talk about, like, doing things simply like that. So when I get up, I I pray on my knees, and then I um I email my commitment, my my uh, abstinence commitment to somebody, 
and um, there are a few people that I kind of um, connect with, you know, uh, on the computer. And then I read the AA Daily Reflections on the computer. I, I don't have the book, but I love to read it. It's very, very helpful. Um, and then I'll come downstairs and read oh, one of my favorite daily readers and pray a little more. And then I'll jump on the meeting from 7 to 8. And then I usually go to the chapel, you know, and just take a little quiet time to be there. It is. I started doing that over 15 years ago. It was a Lenten thing. And um, it was so... I found it so helpful that I've been doing it for over 15 years. So, um, and then I recenter. I want to say I recenter midday. So, like I was talking about the God letter, I may do that. And then I will um, do what I call take a med- like early afternoon, maybe take a meditation walk. And it, it's really it is not it is not an exercise walk. It is a walk to ponder deeply. So I might be praying. I might be you know, asking my higher powers help for something I'm really troubled with, or I might be thanking him. And I'm also noticing, I'm noticing all the, the be- you know, all his beautiful flowers and the rose that was just starting to open yesterday is is fully bloomed today. And it's just, anyway, I, I love doing that. And in the summer, I'm doubly blessed because I love to go to the shore. And I, you know, sometimes I'm blessed enough to be able to to take my God walks on, on the beach. And I do that, and I get really centered that way. And then I, I do my Step 11 review. I, I do have a Step 11 partner. Um, I want to say I do it in the early evening because I found that when right before bed, I was just really too tired to even to really be able to to really think about it and you know give it any good pondering. So I do that in the early evening, and then um, I pray on my knees before I fall into bed. So that's kind of my step 11. And I want to say step 11, my step 11 directs both step 10 and step 12. And that is the step 11, excuse me, the step 10 part is where I ask God to remove when things come up. But the step 11 part is is really praying about sponsoring and how I can be most helpful. And I... I, um, one of the most helpful things somebody once said is, they once said, that's why step 11 is before step 12. And they were talking about, you know, like, I'll say, you know, if, if I'm having, you know, questions or, or feeling like I'm not being very helpful for somebody, I'll just say, I'll, you know, I'll pray about it and I'll just say, you know, show me how I can be most helpful to so-and-so or show me, you know, show me what you want me to do. And that has been incredibly helpful to me in terms of sponsoring. So, okay, so still, step 12, um, chapter 7, working with others. It says, it starts and it says, life will take on new meaning. And I thought about that and I thought, wow, you know, like I actually have a life of meaning and purpose today. I mean, I, I found my true purpose. I, I really do believe that that I am called to help people, you know, who are struggling with compulsive overeating, but I've also I've also found, and I never I never I did not believe that I could be helpful to other people, and I've found that that my higher power has used some of the most difficult situations, whether it was a a difficult adolescent, a husband with cancer, a very difficult mom. Um, I've been able to help people with those things as well. So that that always blows me away that 
I'm not only uniquely useful to people who are struggling with food, but that I actually can be helpful in other areas too. And um, and it also says frequent contact with newcomers and each other is the bright spot of our lives. And I am, I can't say that enough. I mean, I it not only says with newcomers, it says with each other. And I have some of the most special people that, in my life as a result of this program and and I am just I I love the the deepness and the intimacy that I have with people in this program because I can really be myself and I know that they're not going to judge me so I know I can say whatever <clears throat> whatever dark thing is <clears throat> so um <clears throat> I'm actually losing my voice I I'm sure you're happy about that anyway um the other part is step 12 where it says so I guess I started to come to see that I had to, you know, <clears throat> the first part of step 12 <clears throat> starts talking about about um, having had a spiritual awakening. But the second and the third part say, you know, they talk about carrying the message and they talk about practicing these principles. And um, I started to see that this is where the after abstinence comes in. I'll, I'll be there in a minute. Um, I started to see that um, that these things needed to be balanced. You know what I mean? Like, I know I, I actually have enough humility to know that I can't help everyone. And I kind of think of, about it as if I help someone, then they can help someone, and then that person they help can help someone, you know, that it, that it ripples out. You know, so I kind of think about it that way. But I actually pray for balance in that. And I um, I love the part, Oh, I wanted to talk about the message. So what's the message we're trying to carry? And so one day we were we were having this meeting, one of my face-to-face meetings, and we used to do writing shares, and we were doing a share, a, a question from the OA workbook, and it was asking about what the message was. And I was so disappointed because people would, were saying stuff like, you never have to be alone again. And while that's beautiful, that is beautiful, but the message to me, the message is that we can recover, that this, the obsession can be lifted, and that you know, and that we can we can um, we can go out and uh, help others with this, you know. But but that but that we can be freed of this, and you know, we've been given the power to, you know, we have recovered, and we've we've given the power to help others. So anyway, and I I wanted to talk about balancing the two of them on page nineteen. And there is a solution, Bill says, a much more important demonstration of our principles lies before us in our respective homes, occupations, and affairs. Um, anyway, so I want to uh, I want to say uh, the promises have come true, and that being the step nine promises that are on 83 and 84, and the step 10 promises. I never thought that that was possible. I remember when I first read them, and so in step nine, I just wanted to talk about two of them. Um, my Probably my favorite promise is, no matter how far down the scale we've gone, um, we will see how our experience can benefit others. And I can say to people, yes, I was there too, but I don't suffer from compulsive overeating anymore. What a miracle. I, I, can't, I can't begin to, I know I didn't do this. It is, it is just a complete miracle. I Anyway, the family afterward on page 24, 
says, in God's hands, the dark past is the greatest possession you have, the key to life and happiness for others. With it, you can avert death and misery for them. And the second promise, that feeling of uselessness and self-pity will disappear. And I, you know, so I was talking about having a purpose, freedom from lack of purpose and being uniquely useful. And then in step 10, we like to call the step 10 promises the hidden promises because they're, they're not laid out the way, you know, we, we always think of the step nine as the promises. So um, uh, sanity's returned. I'm so, seldom interested in food. I have neutrality around it. The problem has been removed. And um, briefly, I wanted to say, um, I see this as a, we talk about it being a twofold disease. So we have an allergy of the body and we have an obsession of the mind. So in the uh, doctor's, so for the allergy of the body, abstaining from alcoholic foods and eating behaviors that I have trouble with. And in the doctor's opinion, under that, the doctor's opinion, Dr. Silkworth says, the only relief is entire abstinence. And um, I have Stevia's story for anyone who would like to hear about it later. Um, it talks about entire abstinence. Um, I try not to make food decisions on my own. And I do weigh and measure my food. Um, I see it as a spiritual practice. I, I really, I have, I have a piece of paper that has what I'm going to have today on it. And um, I am of the school. If it's not broke, don't fix it. So it's been working well all these years, and I, um, I don't sit around and think I don't need to do that anymore. So, and the obsession of the mind, um, the 12 steps will straighten out the mental twist. So. Uh, you know, we talk about our daily practice of them to keep in fit spiritual condition. And that the 12 steps transform me from selfish and self-centered to unselfish and God-centered. A personality change sufficient to bring about recovery. So, last part. After abstinence, then what? Um, the AA 12 and 12, in step 10, it says, um, but when we approach step 10, we commence to put our AA way of living to practical use day by day, in fair weather or foul. Then comes the acid test. Can we stay sober, keep an emotional balance, and live to good purpose under all conditions? I like to say under any and all conditions. So the first part of that is I wanted to talk about balance. And um, so the first part of balance is, is praying for balance activity-wise. I am, I am one of these people that is, you know, busy, busy, busy person. And I really need to pray about balancing that. And, and um, I do have a plan. And I, you know, when, it, when I write it down, well, I'm one of these people that I feel fine and I keep adding things and I keep adding things and all of a sudden it's too many things. And then I'm all stressed out and I'm snapping out on other people. So I know that I need a plan so that that doesn't happen. So I, I, I do have a plan for that. Um, I'm learning how to listen to my body, you know, to rest when I need to work, to rest. And um, even working out, I, I'm 61 years old now. Like, I cannot, you know, I could, you know, be lack humility and try to keep up with the 20-year-olds in my classes. Or I can say, I want to be able to continue to do this into my 80s. I'm, I, I'm not going to be stupid. So I really try to listen to my body and, you know, not think about what it looks like or what it doesn't look like. Um, and then 
the third part, I already talked about the third part is the balance, which is balancing the second and third parts of step 12, carrying the message and practicing these principles. So I talked about that pretty much, so I think I'm not going to go into that again. The second part of after abstinence, then what, is emotional sobriety. The AA 12 and 12 on 116, it says, as we develop still more, we discovered the best source of emotional stability to be God himself. So that is really living in steps 10, 11, and 12. And one of our our um, visionaries um, always says, she says, step 10 says, continue to watch for. It doesn't say work on. And so that reminds me that um, God, my higher power, that God removes them. And in the OA, um, in step 7, in the OA 12 and 12, it says, um, with your help, I can change. But in the, a, in the um, AA Daily Reflections, and I love this. This has helped me so much. It doesn't say, with your help, I can change. It says, with your help, I am changed. And I really, I literally say to God in the morning, I'll say, you know how selfish I am, and with your help, I'm changed. Thank you. Like, I, I, you know, I I do say that to him. And then um, as part, you know, a part of step 11, we pause when agitated or doubtful. One of my special vision friends was sharing that agitation is the precursor to resentment and that doubt is the precursor to fear. And I I just, I found that really, really helpful. So um, the last part of this is improved relationships. And so in Step 8, um, the AA 12 and 12 says how we may develop the best possible relations with every human being we know. And I, I, want, I, I hope that perfectionism has always been something that I've, I've needed help to have God remove. So I want to say I'm a recovering perfectionist. But back in the day, every time I read that, I thought the key word was best. And one day I read that, and I noticed that the best that the key word was possible. And I thought, oh my gosh, wait a minute, wait a minute, it's it's best possible relations. So um, that's my challenge. So I have an older daughter that um, has had a problem with depression. We had some very very turbulent middle years with her. And I really thought I, I, I really thought that I would never even be able to feel neutral about her. I, you know, I thought that I would always be in the head of after all she put us through. I mean, she was threatening to kill herself and threatening to kill us. I mean, it was a very difficult time. So um, I, I need to say I actually feel positive about her today. And a lot of it, uh, I, I, you know, again, I mean, a lot of it has to do with working, you know, with with looking for my part in the resentments. Um, it was very interesting. I was talking about trying to protect her as she grew up. She was always doing like um, hair raising things, like driving down the Schuylkill Expressway drunk in a rental car at five o'clock in the morning. I mean, and I, I. I was so afraid to let go. I was 
beside myself. And I, like I told you about acting as if I, that's how I started. You know, I would leave her in, in God's hands. And and it, it really did help. I, I, told, I did say I did need to go to Codependence Anonymous to help me with that. And interestingly enough, um, when I was doing my 90-90, when I first got out of treatment, I went to an AA women's meeting, and they were having their 20th anniversary. They had a coffee can. They had these beautiful calligraphied bookmarks. And my favorite slogan is always, let go and let God. So I'm hoping I'm going to, they're passing this coffee tin around. I'm hoping that's the one I'm going to get. I pull out live and let live. And I just need to say how prophetic that turned out to be in my relationship with my older daughter. You know, that's exactly the one I needed. But, you know, I, uh, certainly a lot of let go and let God as well. But the live and let live, I, I really need it very much. So, and um, so anyway, I'd like to say, I mean, so so today I pray that I can accept her as she is and love her still. And um, and I'm trying, and I'm, she is in a relationship now that I think is very harmful. I'm, you know, and I am continually praying to my higher power to, you know, show me how, I don't support the relationship, but show me how to be with her, you know, how I can be with her, support her, but not support something that I think is harmful. It's very difficult, I am, and I am praying about that a lot, and I know, I know he is helping me with that, and I know he will help me with that. And and miracle of miracles, we have a kind of relationship that we can talk about things. That is that I can't I can't even believe that she does come to me. She does talk about these things. So um, anyway, I'm grateful for that. And then um, my second most difficult relationship was my mom. Uh, Twenty years ago, when I first started doing this work, and I didn't know how to do it the big book way, I was told to write a resentment list. My resentment list had 55 things on it. So over the years, I was always taking layers and layers and layers away um, for my mom. And um, I really did believe that we had the best possible relationship. But this is where I operated from. I operated from, this is my attitude. Um, I'm loving, patient, kind, and tolerant, and she's just a bitch. Excuse me for saying that, but you have to understand that that was where how I thought. So it's it's little wonder that she did not feel that coming back from me, even though I thought I was being so loving and patient and kind with her. So one day, one of one of our special visionaries was doing a talk, and she started talking about fear turnarounds and. Anyway, I called her up, and I started talking about my mom, and she stopped me in the middle, and she said, wait a minute, wait a minute, something about the resentments, you know, and I, I wanted, you know, she's like, you know, you, you need to do the turnarounds on that, and I wanted to I wanted to say to her, no, you know, you have no idea how much work I've done on this, you know, and then I, I thought, and I thought about the set-aside prayer. And this is the version that I use. It's a combination of a couple other (laughs) set-aside prayers I've read, but this is the one that I use. I say, help me to set aside everything I think I know about myself, 
my brokenness, my spiritual path. Sometimes I'll add my older daughter, especially, whoever I'm, you know, struggling with. And especially you, God, help me to have an open mind and an open heart and a new experience with all these things. And then I say, please let me see the truth. And that, anyway, I did that. And so long story short, when we go back and we do the turnarounds, I didn't really feel anything. So I, you know, um, I go to visit my mom. I had the hugest breakthrough in terms of seeing my part. It was unbelievable. And I was able to make amends to her. And I cannot, that's been a little over two years. She is now 91 and a half. And I, you know, I never expected her to change. But I think the the energy is so different between us today that she, and this is a person that never apologized to me as I grew up. She she is apologizes about things I cannot I I I don't understand I you know anyway I just think it's it is just the most amazing miracle but I also I felt you know a while back I also felt God saying to me it's time for you I was thinking about the prayer of Saint Francis and I and I thought I heard I heard him say. It's time for you to un- to comfort her, you know, instead of being comforted, to understand her instead of being understood, and to love her instead of being, you know, having to be loved. And I spent my entire life trying to get her to understand me. And truthfully, I don't think she does even now. But it doesn't matter because I'm starting to understand her more. So when she gets snippy, I know she's really afraid. And I have so much more compassion for her. So anyway, um, and I hope, I actually hope to have a future opportunity to to be able to go into a little bit more detail about um, some of these improved relationships because I just think that there's so much hope in this. I do, I never, I did not believe that it was possible. And I am so grateful that, that that is the way it is. So um, thank you for being here and for letting me share my experience, strength, and hope. And I hope I've been a good witness of God's power, his love, and his way of life. Thank you. Thank you so much, Martha, for your, your insightful message of hope. Um, um, and your contribution is, is greatly appreciated. So Martha's contact information is going to be provided at the conclusion of, of this recording. So, so stay tuned for that. So now let's transition uh, into questions from Martha Z. If you have a question for her, you'll want to press star one to unmute your phone and identify yourself, please. And then, of course, uh, uh, to mute again when, uh, when Martha's uh, answering your question. So who would like to uh, – who's got a question for Martha? Hi, it's Naomi. Good morning, Larry. This is Mary Lee R. in Oregon. Okay, Naomi, Mary, Mary Lee, was it? Yep. Okay. Lee R. Okay, I heard. Was it Lindy or Lindsay? Suji. Okay, Suji. Roxanne T. Okay, anybody else? 
Roxanne T. I got you, Roxanne. Thanks so much. Thank you. Sure. Larry? Yeah. Hi, Larry. It's Mary Lou in Southern California. Okay, Mary Lou. All right, so here's who I have right now. Um, so I have, I heard Naomi, and I heard, um, I don't know if, if I got Mary Lou, and I heard a Mary Lee, but that might just be my delusions um, to get in here. <laughs> uh, it's Mary Lee R, and there is also a Mary Lou. Got it. Thank you. Thank you. And I heard, um, I heard a Lindy or Lindsay. I could be wrong about that. Uh, then I heard a Suji. I heard Suji, and I heard Roxanne, and of course Mary Lou. Was there Lindy? Did you were were you there as well? Okay, perhaps not. So let's uh, let's start off with Naomi, and uh, then we'll then we'll we'll move over to Mary Lou. Naomi. Hi, thank you, Larry. Thank you for your service. Um, good, good morning, my family. This is Naomi B., recovered compulsive overeater outside Philadelphia. Martha, thank you so much for your time, and thank you for your, thank you for your life, and thank you for you. I do have a question. Um, uh, you stop. You you mentioned some keynotes. How are things with? You said you had two daughters. The one daughter you were talking about. How are things? How is your relationship with your other daughter, as far as your recovery and your transformation of your life. Thank you, and I pair. Thank you, Naomi. Um, my younger daughter uh, lives in Arizona and is there. I'm hoping she's only there for five years because her partner is doing a, um, a doctoral program there. Um, my younger daughter was born a year early, <laughs> and um She's been the most incredible blessing ever because I, my plan was that um, my daughters would be perfectly spaced three years apart. I got pregnant a year earlier. And um, I know that my higher power knew what he was doing because I would still be waiting for my older daughter to straighten out. My younger daughter has just been I, the most incredible blessing ever. Um, and I, um, I, so I see her three times a year now because, you know, she's in Arizona. So she, she comes in July, so she's about to come. She comes at Christmas and then we go out, you know, in February or March. And, um, we're very connected. We, we talk, we email, we, you know, um, like I, and I said, she, she jokes about this being my phone ministry, but she is, she knows how how important this is. I mean, she's you know, um, and yeah, we we have a really good relationship. But most of all, you know, Martha's will is that um, she should live next door to me, and I know that that's not God's will. This um, whole process her whole move out there has been she has grown so much i have grown so much recovery wise having her out there and truly my prayer is always to want what's best for them not for them to move closer so um yeah we have a really good relationship and um i am hoping that she'll move back closer but if she doesn't i know it will be okay too thank you friend Thanks for the question, Naomi. So, uh, Mary Lee, you're next, followed by Sue G. Mary Lee? 
Good morning. I ha- uh, this is Mary Lee R. in Oregon, living one day at a time. I have to apologize if you maybe address this because sometimes this early in the morning um, I tend to nod off. But you mentioned a husband with cancer, and um, I'm wondering if you could address the fear part of that. Okay. Thank you, Mary Lee. Uh, yeah, um, I think with everybody that had cancer, I think the hardest part is that you have no idea what it's going to look like. You do not know. I mean, I truly, we really thought we were going to go, you know, we kept getting these lab reports and it looked like calcifications. And I really thought that when we went into the urologist office that day, that he was going to say, oh, it's just calcifications. It's fine. And he said, he said, uh, you have cancer. And he was, I, I, I really had a hard time with him. He was very clinical. And so he started mumbling off all this stuff about, you know, about cancer and treatment options. And I, I could not get beyond you have cancer. I, I, I didn't hear anything else. And um, anyway, it, I I, I, I want to say I think just the most important thing about the whole thing is, you know, by staying cleanly abstinent, you know, I was able to stay connected. So when I was afraid, I could really pray about it, but I also, I'm, I am so grateful. I have so many special people in recovery that I can talk to when I'm afraid. And... Um, it's really it's it's really not knowing that's the biggest fear, not knowing what it's gonna look like. But trusting I I always say to people and I, I know I need to hear it more than anybody else, I always say to people like, you know, it doesn't it doesn't mean that nothing bad will ever happen. It means that even if it does, that your higher power is gonna be there to help you through. So thank God, you know, the outcome was good. He is well. It's been a little over five years. Um, and, you know, uh, so, you know, it's nice to say, yes, the outcome was good. But, you know, there were those two times when, when my husband's mother died and when my father died when the outcome was not good. And we didn't know. So, But, I mean, I, I think that, you know, staying cleanly abstinent so I could stay connected, first of all, to God and and my fellows, that that was what helped me. I hope that that answered what you were asking. Thanks, thanks for the question, uh, Sue G. Followed by Roxanne. Good morning, Sue. Okay, morning, Larry. Um, always good to have you leading out. Um, uh, Martha, I, my question to you is. I don't know if I missed it, but did you relapse after you were in rehab, or was that your last hurrah when you were when you went into rehab? And my other question is, can you give me the a word for the first initial of your last name? Because I can't figure out if it's a D or a Z or yes. or what. Thank you very much. Thanks, Sue. It it is actually Z as in zebra. Thank you. And no, by the grace of God, I did not relapse. That 
horrible um, detox that I went through was, God willing, my last one. So, yeah, I mean, it has been, on the 15th, it will be 27 years and four months, by the grace of God. So, um, and, but I want to say, I was always a terrible person. I was, I was not able to white-knuckle it. I was horrible at that. And I want to say that the obsession was lifted. I did not white-knuckle it around. If I would have had to fight it and white-knuckle it, I wouldn't have been able to do it. And and that's the truth. So um, I wasn't struggling with it. And it was just one day plus one day. But like I said, I was not struggling with it. So um, by God's grace, it has been since February of 1989. Thank you for your question. Thanks, Sue. Okay, we have Roxanne and followed by Mary Lou. Roxanne. Roxanne, you're up. Hi, my name is Roxanne T., uh, greatly recovered in, in New York. Thank you so much for sharing. That was beautiful. And I loved when you talked about dealing with your mom, and that's what I'm going through right now. I just made an amends to her last Sunday, and the Sunday before I kind of snipped at her in church. And uh, it just I just feel like I'm just not getting to the bottom, you know, of this. And I wanted to ask you, um, I, I thank you for sharing about the prayer, you know, the St. Francis prayer, because I think that's a really good one that I can, I can really look at that and try to, you know, use those things, you know, when it comes to my mom. But when it comes to, like, doing the, like, the 10th step and, you know, doing the um, inventory work around that, did you, like, like, did you see the fears that were um, interfering there um, that, and, um you know, because I've been praying for, you know, the fear of not being enough, you know, lifted. I mean, I'm, I just get the feeling that that might be the root of it, that I'm just, you know, not enough for her. So um, I don't know. Could you, like, share a little more on, you know, how you work through that? Thank you. Mm-hmm. Thank you, Roxanne. Uh, yeah, my my core fear is not being good enough. Absolutely. Um, I was raised by a perfectionist. And she would say, just so you do your best. But I knew that the best was perfection because that's what she expected from herself. And even to this day, it's so painful to watch her demand so much of herself, even to this day. Um, yeah, so fear. Um, I, 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 I guess, I guess it, it really had to do with seeing that there were so many different layers of it um i don't i i don't that's i that's really what i can say i mean i i did i did work on it all those years and i was not i was really not looking for my part i wasn't looking for my part i'll i'll, I'll give you an example so one of my resentments with my mom was um, I'm resentful at my mom. She treats me like a child. But the truth was, I acted like a child because when she would say something to me that really upset me, I shut down. I was frozen. I couldn't say anything. And my, my best friend would go, well, what did you say? And I'd say to her, I couldn't say anything. You know, and then and then, you know, 
Um, I'm resentful at my mom. She doesn't know who I am. Okay, here's my part. My part is I don't tell her everything because I'm afraid she's going to judge me. So you know what? She doesn't know that I love country music because I think that she would judge that to be shallow. So, again, she doesn't know me, but hey, you know what? Like, I had not been really who I was with her. So I guess I guess I just want to say when I could start to see the different parts where I you know where I where that was my part you know instead of saying well she treats me like a child well wait a minute let's see you know what am how am I acting so anyway I hope that's helpful very helpful very helpful and I think. Most of it, a lot of it, too, is just me being rebellious. So, you know, I I still need to grow up a lot. Thank you so much for sharing. You know what else? I guess I would say, and I do this often, especially with my most difficult relationships, I just leave them in my higher power's hands. I'll just be like, I leave, you know, I leave my relationship with so-and-so in your hands, you know, like. Oh, that's um, good. Thank and you. that I'll helps do that. me so much. It really helps me, so. Thank you. You really helped. Thanks. Have a great day. You're welcome. You too. Thanks for the question, Roxanne. Mary Lou, it's your turn. Hi, Roxanne. Can I be heard? Yes. Hi. Hi, Roxanne. Thank you so much for uh, the story of your life. My name is Mary Lou, a grateful recovering compulsive eater in California. My question is around the mother issue. So it's either providence or synchronicity or whatever, about the mother thing, because <laughs> this follows my question. Um, that relationship has been uh, a painful one for me. Um, and I see for you, too, it's been a process. There was this day you, you mentioned in your sharing. Um, first of all, I'd like, I appreciate the way the big book uh, came into your life so alive and transformed it and how you live within the boundaries of 10, 11, 12. I, I appreciate all of that. I think it's profound and beautiful, and I can't wait to get there. And the second part is, the question is, the day that you, the relationship with your mother switched to um, one of needing her to mother you and nurture you to one of, because I'm experiencing the same with me, is I can just love her tenderly in her uh, borderline personality disorder and narcissism. Like, I can just love her there and not have to, I want my mommy. Um, When that day happened for you, was it a cognizant, like, conscious oh my God, I totally have this wrong. I'm never going to have my mommy. I'm going to need to mother her and it's okay. Like, did it happen in one day or was that like a gradual awakening around the relationship with your mother? Thanks, Mary Lou. Um, well, the, it happened in one day that I was able to see my part. I mean, I, I remember it was it was right before Mother's Day and I was, my husband and I were driving out from, her house, I was actually driving. I start driving down the street, and I felt like this tidal wave knocked me over. And I started to see um, what I had done, what I was doing. And um, not, just in the, not just in the two things that I mentioned, but I, I started to see uh, a bunch of other things. And um, so that, that was very sudden but the part that you know the seeking to comfort then 
you know, to be comforted that part, to understand. Um, that was much more gradual. Mm. And I, um, but when I, I, when I felt like that was my higher power's message, it it's, it was like when I let go of the food. It was like, like there was no fight anymore. Mm. In other words, you know what I mean? Okay. I surrender. I surrender all those expectations of getting her to recognize me, to appreciate me, to approve of me, to, you know, like, I don't have to do that anymore. I don't. It's 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 really a lovely freedom not to do that anymore. She's probably more pleased now than she was before anyway. But I spent my whole life trying to please her. And I always felt like she wasn't pleased. So, I mean, I think when I stopped trying to do that, she's probably more pleased. But I think the other thing that I found in the 11-step prayer was recently, so that that thing from my higher power about understanding came a while back, a year or two ago. You know, I can't, I can't even remember. It was a while back. But recently when I read the 11-step prayer, it's the part that comes after to love than to be loved because it says, it is by self-forgetting that one finds. And that's what I'm seeing in recovery. Like I'm starting to be able to really know who I am. But it really is through, through not focusing on me, but, but being there to help other people that I'm finding myself. I'm really starting to feel that. So, you know, and I mean, I can't say, I don't, I'm not sure I completely know who I am, but I know that, I know I'm getting there. I know I'm on the path. And, I, you know, I just have to keep trudging, you know, and I'm willing to do that. I am, I am really happy to be on this path. You know, I want, it, I want to be on this path. I don't, I don't, it doesn't need to be over. The work does not need to be done. I'm very grateful, you know, to just be trudging you know, with my other friends in recovery. So I hope that was helpful. Yes, thank you. Mm-hmm. Mary Lou, thanks for, for your question for Martha Z. Um, so we have, we're going to go till approximately um, 10 o'clock Eastern time. Um, Martha's paid by the, uh, by the minute here. So um, who else has a, <laughs> who else has a question for Martha? I do. Hi, my name is Gladys. Okay, I heard I heard an I do. Who's I do? Gladys. I, I heard I got you, Gladys. Before you, someone, go ahead. Who was that? Laura G. Laura G. Okay, then I have Gladys. Anybody else? Okay, let's uh, let's go with Laura G. Followed by Gladys. Laura. Uh, thank you. Um, Good morning, fellows. Uh, this is Laura G. Um, slowly recovered, slowly becoming a recovered compulsive overeater. Um, I think one of the the way I want to have pose the question is when you say that you're um, you're on you're on the journey and you're happy to be on it. Um, that didn't come probably right away, or did it come right away? Thank you. Thank you, Laura. 
oh, I want to say no, it didn't come right away because when I started in OA, it was January of 1977. So this January, it'll be 40 years. So I didn't even know there was a journey to be on. You know, I was just trying to like lose weight. And actually, that's not true. I did want to lose weight. I was, I knew that I knew the way I was eating was making my life completely crazy and unmanageable. And I wanted to stop doing that. I wanted to stop doing what I was doing with food because my life was just too crazy with it. I couldn't even think straight. Um, so, like I said, I didn't even know there was a journey to be on. And back in the day, like, we did things like we we only had the AA 12 and 12 and we had the big book. And we had these step study groups and we would just read the step out of the out of the AA twelve and twelve. So I was very knowledgeable in knowing where everything was in that book, but we didn't you know, we didn't apply it. We just kind of studied it a little bit. And so we didn't and we, you know, we whatever I mean, I was I was very good at using all the tools except being abstinent. You know, I, I was really good at that. I could I could use all of them and still not be abstinent. Um, so I, like I said, I didn't, I didn't know there was even a journey to be on. And I, I think that, I don't know. I, I, I think that's just developed over time. I think probably though, with getting more solidly into recovery with going to treatment, you know, I probably had a better idea about it, but I think I very, very solidly have an idea about it since I've been, um, you know, for the last five and a half or so years since I've been doing the big book step study. You know, I mean, I'm, it's very clear now, you know, what the what the journey is. And um, I think it just developed over time. But like I said in the beginning, I didn't even know there was a journey to be on. So I hope that was helpful. Gary, thank you. Mm-hmm. Thanks for the question, Laura. Um, Gladys, it's your turn. Okay, good morning. Um, this kind of just came on, so I'm going to have to listen uh, to your story. But you said something in one of your answers that caught my attention, and that was the part about um, having an obsession lifted and not uh, to use and not uh, a white knuckle in it. And I can identify with that because I define my absence as being like the obsession just been removed, uh, the obsession and the compulsion have been removed. So my question is, like, after uh, the, your obsession, obsession was lifted, was there, what did you do when um, stuff would come up, you know, that you just felt that overwhelming power uh, to pick up again and... Um, how did what did you do to uh like work on your program after the session was lifted? Thank you, Gladys. Um, I want to say that I, I have I've not had super super struggles with wanting to eat, but I I started to talk about being able to differentiate the true from the false. So um. I think I'll just give you a story about that because this was, you know, um, I think I'll use my uh, my uh, GI story. 
I bananas are a binge food for me. I I need to say up front. So years several years ago, I had a GI bug and I was starting to be able to eat. No, you know, had to start eating again after that when I couldn't eat. You know, before when I was really ill. And so I started to think about the the brat diet, you know, that they talk about for the children, bananas, rice, applesauce, and toast. Oh, I also do not eat any flour, so I don't eat bread. Okay. So um, my disease said to me, hmm, maybe you should buy some bananas. And um, it took me a couple seconds, and I said out loud to my disease, oh, and maybe I should buy some bread so I can make some toast too. So I think it, you know, I mean, it's kind of like knowing when the disease is talking. You know, another banana story. Um, I'm in Target. I buy frozen fruit there. I usually buy frozen strawberries. I notice that now they have frozen strawberries and bananas. And my disease says, hey, you know, the bananas, they're with strawberries. It's okay. And I swear, I started thinking about the story in the big book, um, Jim's story, where he mixes the whiskey with the milk. And I'm thinking, you know what? Bananas are binge food. It doesn't matter if they're with strawberries. They're a binge food. So I went home, and I I called my friends in recovery, and I said, I just want to tell you, you know, that there's this new kind of frozen fruit at Target, and that um, I'm going to... Bananas are binge food. I'm going to commit that, you know, I'm not going to be buying that. So anyway, I think if the thought comes up, I know it's my disease. So, um, and, and, but I also believe that that only happens as long as we stay in fit spiritual condition. But I can usually see it coming, you know, I'll be like, oh, nice try. You know, that was a good one, you know, like, anyway. I hope that was helpful. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Thanks for the question, Gladys. So we're going to wrap up here. Um, we got time for one more question. If someone would like to take that, and if not, Martha, you've been very thorough. So uh, this is Lonnie P. Hey, Lonnie. Lonnie? Won't you be? Our, yeah, Lonnie, I got you. How would? How about you be our last uh, question here? Go sure. Ahead. Um, I guess my, my, I want to focus my question on step 10, you know, when these things crop up. Because I, I've, been, I've been white-knuckling it for some time now and not doing a very good job of it. And a lot of things have been cropping up. So what do you do, um, I guess, in your step 10 practice? Thanks, Bonnie. Um, I really think, uh, you know, and Harlan always talks about this, but I really think that he, he talks about the buildup of emotions trigger the mental twist. So um, it's, it's more, you know, when I, you know, I'm really afraid, you know, I ask God to remove. Sometimes that actually happens. Like I don't, I mean, I'm not thinking about it. it he's done that. And other times I think the thing that I find the most helpful is really, um, going, I, I, I have practiced this a lot, so I, I pretty much have the, the step four, you know, 
um, turnaround stuff in my head. So I will I will look at column four and I'll say, okay, um, where was I selfish? No, I'll start. I usually start with the um, um, a realization, which which was given to me by my guide before the the before the uh, the step four thing. I mean the uh, column four, and that was, have you ever done this to that person or to anyone else? And that is that in itself is incredibly helpful, you know, because you're, you know, you're angry at somebody for something. You're like, oh, I've done that too. Hmm, okay. And then, and then, so I go into the selfish part and I say, you know, you are having a problem because you want that person to be something they're not. You want them to be different than how they are. You know, you want them to be doing things the right way, your way, the way you think it should be. Okay, then I'll go into the dishonesty part and I'll say, okay, so what's the lie you're telling yourself about this? And I'll say, well, um, I'm either a victim here or this is all personal. I'm taking their behavior to be totally personal. Not that they just act that way with everybody else, but they're just doing that to me. And then I get to the self-seeking part and I'm always judging and I'm always blaming and I'm oftentimes gossiping about, you know, saying something about somebody or something else, you know, that comes in. And then I get to the fear part, and then I was like, okay, oh, um, wow, I'm really, either I'm afraid of not being good enough or I'm afraid of losing something I have or not getting what I need or being hurt and um, rejected. And as soon as... So looking at all those things, it, 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 it really kind of takes the charge off of all those things. Like, and, and it's the same thing with the, the fear process, although it's, it's a little bit different process. Um, you know, the, the fear prayer always helps me with the fear part. Um, but um, really just looking at my part, instead of feeling like this victim, these people, all these people, they just do this stuff to me all the time. You know, oh, isn't this horrible? You know, this is always happening to me. They're always acting like this. You know, and so, like, I was complete victim with my older daughter and my mother for years. And, I, you know, they treated me terribly. They really did. But, you know, once I started to be able to see the, the stuff that I was doing, um, it really helped me out. So when all these things are settled out, then the food doesn't come up. The food doesn't have to come up because there's nothing that's really super disturbing. And I really believe that. So anyway, I I try hard to keep this stuff settled out so that the food doesn't have to come up. Does that does that help a little bit? Yes, it does. I'm sorry. Okay. <laughs> Everybody left, and I'm just talking to myself. <laughs> no, I just automatically mute so you don't hear background noise. Thank you. Thank you, Lonnie. Okay. Well, well, thanks to everybody for their their wonderful questions this morning, and of course, thank you, Martha, for your your beautiful service this morning. Uh, I'm going to close from from page 164 of the Big Book uh, in the chapter of Vision for You, and then uh, once the recorded portion's over, uh, Martha, I believe, will leave her contact information. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little, 
God, God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order. But obviously, you cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right, and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is the great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit, and you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you until then.